You can turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation in chapter 10. We have what is a vision, another vision. And one of the things that I've seen as I've studied this book for many years is that things get rather heavy in this book. There are cataclysms and judgments. And last week we looked at spiritual activity on a level that most of you have probably never even considered, fallen angels and demons. And, And when you get to a place of darkness, which is the reality of the future for mankind apart from Christ, it's so important to stop and remember, and we tried to do this last week as well, to be encouraged that God is in control. Now, one of the things that God does, that the Holy Spirit communicates in this book, you'll get to a point like the end of chapter 9 where things look pretty bleak. You have to remind yourself that all things are working together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes when you you get to the end of a chapter like chapter 9. But the Holy Spirit, in the wisdom that only God has, knows that You need to hit the pause button for a minute and be reminded that God is working. And so we get to chapter 10, and this happens a number of times in the book of Revelation, where we'll get to some of the cataclysms and judgments of God, and then there's a little parenthesis. It's sort of a pause, and then the Holy Spirit reminds us that God is working in a powerful way. Now, chapter 10, and then even into some of chapter 11, we'll only look at chapter 10 today, but it's a moment to be reminded that God is in control. Amen? So today is very much an encouraging message, but it comes in a place in this vision between the blowing of the sixth and seventh trumpets. So we've looked at judgments, we've we've looked at the first four trumpets, and, and then we looked at the sixth, the fifth and the sixth trumpet, and the last three trumpets are called the three woes, and so we've looked at two of the three woes. And it's heavy, it's intense, but before we get to the third woe, that is the seventh trumpet, God, in his comfort and wisdom, gives us an opportunity to contemplate the truth that he is working all things together for good. So, with this as sort of a parenthetical vision, all of the things we're going to study this morning take place toward the very end of what is a seven-year time period, or the second three and a half years, of a period we call the Tribulation. It will happen in the future, shortly before Christ returns. There will be seven years of tribulation, the first three and a half, not as bad as the second three and a half, that will lead us up to the moment that Christ returns, not for his church, but returns to rule and reign over the earth. This will follow the cataclysmic judgments that were ushered in by the six angels and their trumpets. And it's the fulfillment of this prophecy which will precede the millennium, a thousand-year reign of Christ, which will be ushered in when the seventh trumpet is blown. So I love that God knows that we need to just pause on the cataclysms and the judgments enough to say, hey, let's be reminded where this thing is going and how God is going to rule and reign on the earth. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this encouraging word. And as we look at your word today, may we be reminded you're good. That even in the judgments and the cataclysms, even in the the wrath of God being poured out on a world that rejects you, that all of that really truly is working for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purposes. 
We wish and desire to be among those who can be described as your disciples and your children, knowing that if we belong to you, no evil can befall us for all eternity. That even though we suffer in this world and there's tribulation and difficulty, that we will not fall, that we shall ultimately be ushered into your presence forever and ever to spend an eternity with you. We thank you for that truth, and may you encourage us through your word today, we pray. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Well, let's read the first seven verses of chapter 10 in the book of Revelation. We read, then I saw, John writes, then I saw another mighty angel, and I've mentioned this before, mighty angel, a mighty messenger. The word angel simply means messenger. So as we go through this book, if there are times where the messengers are angels, and there are times where the messenger is Jesus. This is one of those times. The mighty messenger is Jesus, and you can see that clearly. <clears throat> he says, Then I saw another mighty messenger, or angel, coming down from heaven. He was robed in a cloud, with a rainbow above his head, and his face was like the sun, and his legs were like fiery pillars, and he was holding a little scroll. We've seen this before. He was holding a little scroll, which lay open in his hand, and he planted his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and he gave a loud shout like the roar of a lion. And when he shouted, the voices of the seven thunders spoke. And when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven say, seal up, that is, don't, don't divulge, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. Then the angel I had seen standing on the sea, or the messenger I had seen standing on the sea and on the land, raised his right hand to heaven, and he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and all that is in them, the earth and all that is in it, and the sea and all that is in it, and said, there will be no more delay. That is to God's judgment. There will be no more delay to God setting things right. And I look forward to that moment. Uh, we're in a moment of delay. Think about when you watch a football game, a delay of game. It seems like we've been in a delay for a long time. But there will come a point where there will be no delay. But in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. I look forward to a day when all of the mysteries of God and all of the things that we've studied throughout the Bible are accomplished. When we can look at the word of God and say, yep, that, that happened. Yeah, that happened. Uh, take, check that off the, the list because God has done all that he promised. You know, when Jesus came like 2,000 years ago, he accomplished so many of the things that the scripture said he would, clearly. But not all of them. Many of those prophecies remain unfulfilled, still yet to be fulfilled. But there is coming a day when he'll come again and those promises will be fulfilled. Those prophecies will be fulfilled. The things he told us would happen, will happen. We're not there yet. And for this reason, as Peter talks about, some people look at this and they see it as like God being slack. You know, that, that he's not fulfilling his promise. That where's God? Why hasn't he done the things he said? And Peter tells us, you know, don't, don't consider that to be that way. Don't, don't look at it that way. God is working all things together for good. And he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so this delay in the judgment of God, this delay in God returning to earth to set things right, the very thing the Jews were looking for 
and were disappointed when it didn't happen in the past, that, that very millennial kingdom of Messiah will eventually happen. I can't tell you when, but I can tell you we're closer this week than we were last week. That's all I can tell you. As we look at this, this is a picture of that moment. And you might be thinking, well, this is kind of the end of the book. Why are we talking about it now? I mean, this is kind of sandwiched in here. We still have much more to talk about in the way of judgment. Why are we jumping back and forth? Why are we looking ahead and then backing up? Why is there this parenthetical chapter looking ahead to the end of the tribulation when we haven't even talked about all of the things that will happen during the tribulation? I've already shared that with you. God knows we need a little encouragement. God knows we need to be reminded that good things are yet to come as we study the difficulties that will take place in this world. Occasionally, the scripture just says, okay, let's just pause and look forward and remember where we're heading. Have you ever read a book or watched a movie and you just couldn't wait to see how it would end? I always resist the temptation, but many people will go to the last page of a book because they can't take the suspense I can't imagine watching a whodunit and then, you know, sort of going to the end of the movie just to see who, who actually committed the crime. With, it would ruin the whole story, wouldn't it? But that's not the way it is with prophecy. We know where this thing is going. No spoiler alert. There's no spoilers here. But to look at it before we continue through the rest of this book, and we're going to deal with some even darker things than we've dealt with already, is essential and necessary to stay encouraged and focused on Jesus and not demons and devils and the Antichrist, cataclysms, judgment. Because so many people look at this book and they focus on all of those things and they miss a chapter like this, but they don't really pay attention to it. And remember, I've shared this with you over and over again. This book is called The Revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not the revelation of cataclysms and judgments and antichrists and demons. Or even the last days. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And chapter 10 is so important because it reminds us of this truth. In this vision that John receives here, he saw a mighty messenger coming down from heaven. Clearly Jesus coming down from heaven to earth. We'll see this again. We're going to go through different portions of Scripture, and especially when we get to chapter 19, we're going to see a rather robust description of this event. But for now, we're just being reminded of what's to come. Notice the angel or the messenger, we'll call him a messenger, for that's what the word truly means, was robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. And that description is given to us so that we'll understand who this is. For you see, and I've shared this with you before, In the scriptures, bright clouds appeared whenever the heavenly and earthly realms intersected. Throughout the scriptures, wherever heaven and earth met, there was clouds. I don't want you to think of, there were some beautiful clouds this morning as we were driving in, as we're heading east. I don't want you to think about those type of clouds. That's not what we're talking about. The clouds that we're talking about have been described throughout the scriptures in a number of ways. I think the very first reference was a smoking fire pot or a blazing torch that confirmed God's covenant with Abram or Abraham. That took place in the book of Genesis. But then a cloud, the same kind of cloud, covered Moses while he was on Mount Sinai. There was a pillar of cloud and fire which was over the ark in the wilderness. There was a cloud that filled the temple at Solomon's dedication of the temple. Isaiah and Ezekiel, in their visions, both saw the glory of God in a cloud. 
A bright cloud enveloped Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration when they saw Jesus in all of his glory. And of course, Jesus was taken up before his disciples in a cloud and hid from their sight. So this understanding of this cloud, is it's more than just what we imagine a cloud to be. It has to do with some interaction between the heavenly and the spiritual realm. This is what we see in just about every interaction or every intersection of heaven and earth. Now, of course, the scriptures tell us over and over again that Jesus will come in the clouds when he returns. And now maybe we understand that word a little bit better and not think of it as weather clouds or rain clouds. Now, the rainbow, this should be familiar to all of us. Now, our world has corrupted the rainbow, but I'm glad that they only have six colors when they corrupt it because the rainbow we know is seven, right? And isn't it interesting? Because seven is a number of perfection and six is a number of rejection of God and rebellion. Just interesting that that's the case. But the rainbow was seen above God's throne by both the prophets Ezekiel and John when we looked at the vision in chapter 4. This rainbow was mentioned. It's a description of the refraction of light, but it's more than just a description, a physical description. It's a symbolic description because we know that the rainbow was a sign of God's covenant of mercy with mankind through Noah after the flood. It had never rained on the earth. The the climate was very different. It was more like a rainforest. It really wasn't the kind of climate that we experience today. The world was radically changed during the time of the flood. But when Noah's family, and I want you to think about this, imagine being on the ark all those months, right, and living through the flood, surviving that, coming out onto dry land. Can you imagine the first day that it rained? Can you imagine what they were thinking? So what God did was he he put the rainbow in the sky to remind them, because when Noah's family saw the rain clouds, they remembered God's judgment. But when they saw the rainbow, they remembered God's mercy. And his promise never to destroy the earth by a flood. So, I want you to think about this. We're seeing the cloud, which shows us that this mighty angel is coming from heaven to earth. And we see a rainbow telling us it's not just any ordinary messenger or angel. It's Jesus himself, God, who brings both judgment and mercy. Judgment for those that reject him. Mercy for those that receive him as their savior. So, beautiful pictures which speak of who this is. Now, the angel's face, or the messenger's face, Jesus' face, was like the sun, and his legs were like fiery pillars. And in Malachi chapter 4, we're told that God's face was that of the Son of Righteousness, risen with healing in his wings. So, the idea of the brightness of his glory. And, of course, Jesus' face shone like the sun during his transfiguration if you're familiar with that in the Gospels. And I'm not going to go to all of these references today, because we'll be here for another hour. But I encourage you, if you're familiar with these portions of Scripture, to look into them, and you'll see that what I'm saying is true. This was Jesus' face during the Transfiguration. In fact, Jesus' face shone like the sun in all of its brilliance when he was revealed in chapter 1 of this very book. That's the same description. And then his legs. Interesting that the legs are described as legs of fiery pillars. That this is not the only place that God, or Jesus, the Son of God, is described in this way. His legs are described as fiery by both Ezekiel and John. John, in chapter 1 of Revelation, also in chapter 2, and Ezekiel in his book, describe God in exactly the same way. Why is that? 
Because the point of this vision is to reveal Jesus. This isn't just an angel. This is Jesus. This is a revelation of Jesus redeeming and taking over on this planet. And boy, do we need that now. As soon as possible, Lord. Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Well, the angel, the messenger, was holding a little scroll. And we know what this little scroll is. If you've been with us, we've been talking about this scroll going back to chapter 5. And it came up over and over again because as the Son of God, Jesus, the Lamb of God in heaven, opened the scroll, each one of the seals were broken and a corresponding event took place on earth. So we went through the seven seals, which ushered in then the seven trumpets, and then we'll talk about more judgment in the future. But for now, I want to remind you, and maybe for some of you who weren't here, to help you understand what this little scroll is. We see the angels holding a little scroll. And the, by the way, the, the scroll lays open. The last time we saw the scroll, first we saw it, it was sealed with seven consecutive seals. So it would break a seal as you unscrolled it seven times. Then we saw each of those seals open. Now it's open. So we know this is the same scroll. And we know who had the scroll in his hand, going back to chapter 5. It was the Lamb of God. It's Jesus. So this isn't that hard to interpret, but I give you that information so that you know we're not making assumptions here. So as we look at this, this is the same scroll that Jesus had opened that he was still holding in his hand. Now, deeds of purchase in the ancient world. To understand the scroll, you have to understand what a deed of purchase is. If you purchased a vehicle, you have a title. If you purchased a home you have a title. It describes your ownership over a piece of property. And in the case of cars and homes in our culture today, we don't have scrolls, we have titles. This is the same thing, really. Deeds of purchase in the ancient times were sealed scrolls, and they would put the fine print. Isn't it funny? There's always fine print. Even going back then, there's always fine print. It's so small, and you hesitate not to read it, but I suggest you do read it. But the deeds of purchase were sealed scrolls with fine print, and the fine print was put on the reverse side. Now, if you look in the scripture in Jeremiah chapter 32, he he purchases a piece of property, and he receives a similarly sealed document when he purchases that property. So you see this acted out in real time in the book of Jeremiah. And there was an unsealed copy. So you had a sealed copy and an unsealed copy. The unsealed copy was reviewed during the purchase of a piece of property. I mean, you didn't sign a document that you couldn't look at. So there was a sealed copy and an unsealed copy, but the sealed copy was held to authenticate its future redemption. So you would purchase the property, you'd look at the terms and conditions, both sides of the scroll, but you had a sealed copy that when you presented that copy, you would open it up and it would show everyone, this is the document that entitles me to redeem, that is, purchase this property for myself. And a redemption is sort of like a paying off of a debt. So if you have been fortunate enough to pay off your car, if you've been fortunate enough to pay off your home, you know that the wonderful moment happens when you receive your title in the mail that either says it's paid for or maybe you didn't even have the title because the bank had it. But now you have it, and it's the equivalent of having this sealed scroll opened. Now, why do I say all that? So you understand that this unsealed document, this sealed document, the document that had been opened, is a deed of purchase representing all of creation. This is the moment 
when Jesus, who died to redeem the earth and all mankind, is making good on the redemption of creation. So where are we right now? Well, we've seen the unsealed document. We know that Christ died for our sins. He rose again on the third day. He ascended into heaven where he ever lives to make intercession on our behalf. But he's coming again to judge the living and the dead. That's the redemption. The purchase has already taken place. He's purchased us for God. The scripture says so. We're bought and paid for. We've been bought with a price. Say amen. We've been bought with a price. But have you noticed you haven't been redeemed yet? We say, I've been redeemed, and what we mean is we've been purchased, but there is coming a day when we'll be taken into God's presence and we'll receive and experience the redemption of our souls. That is, the fulfillment, the completion of all of God's promises. Right now, we have a promise in the Holy Spirit. We have a truth. We know what the document says, but the document will be sealed until God decides to open it. Now, we've looked ahead in prophecy and seen what happens when that document's unsealed. But here we are in this vision. At this point in the vision, the document is unsealed. And so this is why Jesus is coming to earth in this vision to take control of the earth because he has finally... Redeem. There's not going to be a delay anymore. He's redeeming the earth. And this is something we look forward to. This is our hope. The scripture says the hope of his, of his coming. We look forward to the brightness of his coming. That's the hope we have in Christ. And when that happens, we won't have to have a hope anymore. It will be a reality. And we look forward to that day. So what does the angel do? What you might, uh, the messenger do, Jesus do? What you might expect, we're told the messenger plants his feet on the sea and on the land, and he gives a loud shout like the roar of a lion, the lion of Judah. He's claiming the earth for his own. Oh, I have to say it again. Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. The more I see in this world the darkness, the wickedness, the evil, the corruption, even in our government, the more I see this, the more I cry out, oh, Lord, open that document. Let's get this thing going. Oh, we just have to be patient because God's timing is perfect. But in this vision, he claims ownership over the earth, which had been redeemed by the Lamb on the cross. And his shout is one of victory over the earth, and we look forward to that moment. And then we're told that this messenger shouted and the voices of seven thunders spoke. And I think this is somewhat poetic, but clearly they said something. Now, when we started this study, I told you that nearly every part of the book of Revelation can be easily understood. Easily understood if you've done the study in the scripture. Like the symbols we talked about. The symbols of of God's face and the rainbow. The things we talked about here. If you know the scriptures, the bright clouds, they're not hard to interpret. If you don't, of course it is. Kind of like trying to understand a map without a key. If you have the key... You know what's a road, you know what's a railroad, you know what's a city, because you have a key. Well, the key is the scripture, and if you have the key, it's it's a very easy book to understand, actually. It's not hard to understand at all. In fact, the book starts by saying, blessed are those that read the words of this book and understand them. So that blessing is not being withheld from you. But it does require a degree of study to unlock these truths. However, there are a very few things in this book that remain a mystery today. One of the things is, when is Jesus going to return? I can't answer that question. But I also cannot tell you what the seven thunders said. 
I wish I could. I'm a little curious. John wanted to tell us, unfortunately, Jesus told him, don't write it down. I don't know why. I don't know what they said. Obviously, it's not important for us to know now, but at one point we will know. And isn't it nice that some things are still in the future to be revealed? I mean, we don't know everything, and this we simply don't know. But we are told that God's thunderous sevenfold voice is the very voice of God. Again, that number seven, it's, it's a symbolic number, speaking of God's power, his perfection. This is the same voice that manifested itself in the judgment of the flood. The thunderous voice of God that brought about the flood will bring about this moment of redemption on the earth. John heard a voice from heaven that told him not to record the words of these seven thunders. Again, this is the same voice that had been speaking to him, the voice of God. In fact, if you remember with me, we studied Daniel a few months ago. In Daniel chapter 12 and verse 4, after receiving the entire vision, God told Daniel, seal up the book. Seal up the book. I'm glad it was unsealed eventually, but he was told the time has not yet come. Seal up the words of this book. In other words, you're not going to be able to understand Daniel, the prophecies in this book, because none of this has even happened yet. It's still yet to be revealed. So for many, many years, hundreds of years, you could read the book of Daniel and only guess. Oh, you could read about Daniel in the lion's den and, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You, you could read about that and understand that. But the prophecies were impossible to understand. Then Jesus came. Then the book of Revelation was given to us. And the book of Revelation isn't sealed. This portion is, but all of the rest of the book is not sealed. And when the book of Revelation of Jesus Christ was given to us, the book of Daniel became unsealed. And we were able to understand it. So there will come a day when these seven thunders and what they said will be revealed. That day is not today, and I'm not going to pretend it is. But this is one of the few things that we simply don't understand or know because we're not meant to. By the way... God doesn't reveal everything to us all at once. Is this true? Sometimes you receive revelation progressively. You understand a little of God's revelation and then more and more over time. This is one of those things. So, the message of God's earthly judgment is not revealed. But God's judgment will be revealed. This we know. And then the angel, the messenger, swore that there would be no more delay. So I love this because Jesus is saying, that's it, no more delay. Does anyone here have incredible patience? Because I don't. God is incredibly patient. He's long-suffering, abounding in mercy. He is love. God is love. He has the ability to be merciful with people that you and I would destroy in a heartbeat. Clearly. Clearly. And aren't you glad? Because I'm sure at one point you were that person. I know I was. God's great mercy and patience is the reason that we are here today. So let's not be too hasty to think that maybe God should speed up his plan. God's timing is perfect. But I have to admit, I'm okay if it happens tomorrow. Or even today. Maybe after lunch. I'm not a prophet. I'm just a guy who likes to eat. Okay, well, we see Jesus swearing by God the Father. 
this is a picture to help us to understand what's happening, but it's very hard to understand how God in three persons, one God, three persons, how this works. But we do know that Jesus, as this messenger, swears an oath by God in heaven. And the scriptures tell us in the book of Hebrews in chapter 6 that God can only swear by himself. We can say, I swear to God, but what does God do? He can only swear by himself. Because God is eternal and he lives forever and ever. And we're told this here. We're also told that God created the heavens, the earth, the sea, and on his and all that is in them. And it is by God the Father, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that Jesus, this mighty messenger revealed to us, swears that that's it. No more delay. And I want to stress this because we have a tendency to look at the mercy and the patience of God and think that it will last forever. That is, you'll be able to go through life continuing to disobey him, knowing what you're doing is wrong, and that the consequences will never come. There'll never be a moment where you have to answer for that. Remember this moment. Never forget what Jesus says here, and he swears to it. He doesn't just say it. He swears to it when he says, there will be no more delay. There will be no more delay. That day is coming. We're not there yet, but that day is coming. And when it does, it will be too late. It will be too late. There will be no more delay for God's judgment. Today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. This is the acceptable day of salvation. Oh, Pastor Tim, I think we got at least 30 more years. Maybe, maybe 60. But you don't know if you do. I don't know if I do. We don't know if next week all this stuff starts to happen. What we do know is God is merciful today, and he's giving us an opportunity to respond to his grace and his love. It would be wise for us not to delay. But that day will come. But I want to point that his desire to delay earthly judgment until the very last moment shows his great mercy. And that's exactly what God does. And when the seven years start, if you've read your Bible, you know, oh my goodness, we only have seven years. And you still have seven years to respond, assuming you live through that time period. And God gives us the maximum amount of time. He gives mankind the maximum amount of time. As we saw last week, many people will waste that time, squander that time, and not respond. They'll reject Christ. But his unwillingness to delay any further shows that he's not only great in mercy, he's great in justice. You know, if God just was merciful and merciful and merciful, like a parent that never disciplined their child, you would say of that parent, you're not a very good parent. Because all you do is spoil your child. You don't ever call your child into account. Nobody would look at that type of parenting, which I call soft parenting. No one would call that kind of parenting good parenting. But mercy, 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 but there comes a moment of justice or judgment. There comes a moment of accountability where we we are going to be held responsible for our decisions. Well, the angel also declared, the messenger also declared, Jesus also declared that the mystery of God would be accomplished. This would all happen before the seventh angel sounded his trumpet. Now, the seventh trumpet will usher in the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. We'll see that in future studies. And the mystery of God, Paul tells us what the mystery of God is. The mystery of God is the gospel, what I've been sharing with you this morning. It's not a mystery to us now. It's not a mystery. It wasn't a mystery to them then. It was a mystery to those before Jesus came. But the mystery of God is the gospel of grace that was once a prophetic mystery, just like the book of Daniel, but has now been revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. God announced it through his servants, the prophets, and it was once hidden even to the prophets themselves. 
But now it's clearly understood. No one need think that the love of God is a mystery. It's something you can experience and know even now. And you can understand that Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for your sins and rose again on the third day. And that he is coming again to judge the living and the dead. But here we are in this time of delay so that all that know this truth and hear this truth and so that many can hear this truth can respond to this truth before it's too late. And we understand that is the mystery of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we hear it here every Sunday and Wednesday through his word. But the salvation of mankind will be completed prior to this millennial judgment. It will. When that happens, once there's no more delay, the salvation of mankind will be revealed and experienced. But I want to stress this. That salvation is available today. There will be a point where it will no longer be available. But it's available here and now. And we need only recognize that truth and trust that even though our lives have already been bought and paid for through Christ's death, we have yet to be redeemed. We have yet to be made into the image of Christ. We have yet to be delivered from our sinful nature and given resurrected bodies. But in that moment, when the judgment of God comes, we will receive all of God's promises and you will have no more hope. What? No, you'll have no more hope. What? No more hope because you won't need to hope. You'll have received all that you ever hoped for and all that God ever promised us. Amen? Amen. I told you it would be encouraging. No demon studies today. Well, God God called John to be his messenger. And I want to close with this. This is an important truth because each of us have been called in the same way. But it's a very interesting uh, vision that he receives. And the way he receives this vision is similar to another scripture in the book of Ezekiel. I'm not going to turn there today, but in Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 9, uh, into chapter 3, verse uh, 3, Ezekiel receives a very similar experience uh, that John receives here. Let's read it. In verses 8 through 11, we read, Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me at once, or once more, Go take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the messenger who is standing on the sea and on the land. Now remember, this is a vision. So I went to the messenger and asked him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, Take it and eat it. It will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it, and it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth, but... When I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. And then I was told, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. This is John being called by God to be his messenger. Now, he's already been called to be a messenger if we go back to chapter 1. But this is the moment where John receives the scripture in a poetic way by actually consuming it, the same way Ezekiel consumed it. And by consuming it, it becomes part of him. And then he's told, now you must share this message. And so this is the part, this is sort of the interactive part of this study today. This is the part where all that we've already studied needs to be digested by you, not physically, but spiritually digested so that you can share that message with others. You see, it's not enough to come and receive the message. You have to share the message. The mystery of the gospel is not just for us to receive, it is also for us to share. Amen? John heard a voice from heaven that told him to take the unsealed scroll from the mighty angel's hand. Now, this is the same voice, the voice of God that had previously spoken to him. 
John was told by the mighty angel, take this unsealed scroll, this, this, this title deed, and eat it. And did you notice that this is God's word? God's word tasted sweet as honey in his mouth, but it turned his stomach sour. Maybe you ex- have experienced that in life where you ate something and it was really good going in, but not so good after that. Around the holidays, I think from the time of Halloween to around New Year's, we consume a fair amount of sweets. Things that taste really good, but they don't always do our stomach very good. Well, the word of God is described in this way for a reason. Because God's word is always bitter sweet. Yes, it's bittersweet once we digest it. So you can't consume the word of God and not recognize it has a sweetness, but it also will create bitterness. What do I mean? God's word is pleasant, yet it makes very strong demands upon us personally. You know, when we come to Christ, we're so excited to be saved, and then we realize you have to die to yourself. That's bittersweet. All of the word of God isn't sweet. Some of it's a little bitter. And I'll explain what I mean. You see, we often receive in hardship and trial and difficulty the pleasant truth of God's word. Oh, God's truth is pleasant, but usually we receive it and understand it and digest it through very difficult trials and circumstances. Bittersweet. New life in Christ. It's deliciously sweet. Yet death to our old self is dreadfully bitter. We experience the sweetness of God's grace during our bitter trials. Bitter sweet. The gospel is a bittersweet message as well. What do I mean? Well, it's sweet with God's mercy, which I've been sharing with you. But it's also bitter with God's judgment, which is the reality for those that reject it. You can't share the gospel and not recognize, oh, it's sweet. Yes, it's sweet, but it's bitter. It's bitter because we taste the sweetness of knowing God's plan of salvation, but unfortunately... As you share the gospel message, you'll endure the bitter reality for those that reject it, the lost, hell for all eternity. You you see what I mean? If you understand what I'm saying, say amen. Amen. It's bittersweet. Everything about God's word is good, but the reality is that not everyone receives the message. And therefore, the other part of the message, the bad news, you see, the gospel means good news. That's good news for those that receive it. But it's incredibly awful, horrific bad news for those that reject it. Bittersweet. Bittersweet. Well, John was told by the mighty angel to prophesy again this bittersweet message about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. And that's what's going to happen next in the book of Revelation. He's told to write these things down in order to share them with others. So the rest of the book... Well, I'll put it to you this way. Remember I said that scroll had fine print on the other side? Well, we've kind of looked at the the larger print. We've looked at the things that will happen. But now we're going to turn the scroll over and we're going to look at the fine print. We're going to look at all the things that God is going to do during that time. The, the, The details that have yet to be shared with us, that will be shared with us. And he uses the word again, and I want to stress this, that the book of Revelation is divided into sections, and chapter 6 through chapter 11, verse 18, are like the one side of the scroll, which is in the larger print, and chapter 11, verse 19, through the rest of the book, is very much the fine print. It's more detailed. We're actually not going to talk about all that much that is new in the second part of this book, 
We're now going to go back over the things we've already talked about, because here we are talking about Christ coming again. We're going to go over it again. This time we're going to pay attention to some details that we haven't gotten to yet. The fine print. Are you with me? So that's why he's told he needs to prophesy again. Now, deeds of purchase were sealed scrolls, as I've said, with the fine print on reverse on the reverse side. It's some of that fine print on the reverse side that makes you bitter. You know, like death to self and that God is going to judge those that reject him. That bitter part of the message is there. It's, rea- it's reality. There's some today in the church that want to remove the bitterness. You know, they, they want to just present the sweet. Oh, God is good. You know, everything's going to be great. And they never tell you about the truth, which is that the message demands your life given to Christ. Your will surrendered to Christ. That you might be rejected and despised for believing that message. There's a bitterness. There's a sweetness. May we deliver both faithfully. That we might, like John, be the messengers that deliver the truth. Now, John is going to soon share this subject with the same group of people from a different angle. He's going to prophesy about many peoples and those within the earth and their leaders. And we'll get to that. We'll start with that over the next couple of weeks. But for now, have you consumed the word of God? Have you consumed enough of that bittersweet message of the gospel to know that and now it's time to share it? By the way, you know what sweetens it a little bit? What sweetens it for me is sometimes people do respond. <laughs> Actually, many times people do respond. Look around. There was a time when you didn't, and now you're here. And that's sweet. And yes, it's bitter that there are some that haven't responded. But by faith, let's trust that God really does know what he's doing and that he's working all things together for good. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your love and your grace and your mercy. Thank you that you have revealed to us this bittersweet message, but that you have also given us the ability to share it. And we look forward to the day where, where all is sweetness. When we can spend an eternity with you, having been redeemed from the earth. But until that day, may we trust you. May we continue to hope in the brightness of your coming. Oh, Lord Jesus, we look forward to that day, but I pray right now. Not every heart here may know you. Not every heart here may receive this message. But having heard it, may every heart eventually, before that time is over, while the time of grace yet exists, May every heart eventually submit to it, that they might be filled with your mercy, your grace, and your love for all eternity. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.